Respect on the Jeff Hamilton jacket, bro. Thank you, man. This yeah. Is, we're 2003 Dipset Cameron G Unit. Is I appreciate this as well, as a as a as a hardcore G Unit and Dipset fan. I appreciate the, the the level of swag it takes to walk out in this jacket in 2017. <laughs> he's, he's bringing it back. He's bringing back that that New York 5XL Jeff Hamilton custom. This actually is 5XL. Is it? The size of the, sl- the, size of the sleeves is next level. Yo, it's you crazy. You could have like five of my arms in each one of these. This, you is, know? this is Cameron at the BET Awards with the pink phone, the pink razor. Do you know what, man, right? Obviously, I'm not really in that kind of musical world, but I would love to get booked at Berghain one day and turn up like, <laughs> so, you know, so, so I'm guaranteed to get in, but turn up wearing a jacket like this, like, you know, with all the flipping black V-neck t-shirt clones and be like, yeah, sorry, guys, I'm going to roll up in a ginormous oversized pink jacket from 99, actually. This is, this is a big shout out to, to Jesse who hooked this up. Jesse from Effers and Frank. Yeah, get, old, get down to Effers and Frank for all of your vintage needs. Yeah, but this is, this, is like, this is like new old stock. Like, I think he found this in a warehouse in Buffalo. I saw it on Instagram and I slid in those DMs so fast. See, that's the thing about Buffalo. In Buffalo, they still wear this. Like, if you walk down, like, you know, you, if you walk down the street in Buffalo, the drug dealers are still wearing this. Case in point, you got Conway and Westside Gun. I mean, this is like, they walk out the house like this in 2017. So Buffalo's like a time capsule of, like, 2003 New York hip hop, and, <laughs> and I appreciate that. It's just it shows you know sometimes you got to go with the classics and stick with it. When something works, I mean you know we wear all this tight shit now, and you got to fucking I got to stretch around and all this. And it, there's there's something to be said about having like you know free flowing. You know you know what man? It took me it took me a long time to get away from baggy jeans, and I've finally done it. But then I feel like maybe the the mix and match is good, like baggy on top, tight on the bottom. You know. I, I think you're onto something. That's an aesthetic. That's a new aesthetic that like. By next year, Jerry Lorenzo. I don't think it's that. that new. I think it's been on for a minute. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just slow catching on to it. I pre- anyway, I appreciate the je- authentic Jeff Hamilton jacket. It those, is as well. For yeah, those who know. Thank you. Drug dealers of Brooklyn and, and Harlem will appreciate this jacket. Yeah, Everyone also, also and nerdy music producers of Bristol as well. That's, yeah. yeah, exactly. That we'll kind of, that kind of, I'm, I'm in the middle of that Venn diagram, you know. I, w- I would like to see you go to Bergen and show up like that. Cause I would I, love I, that. I, have, I, I, have, I think I have a... A fundamental problem with Bergand. I don't. I, why is it that it's? I don't know why we're talking about techno, but I don't understand why Bergand doesn't book any of the Detroit guys, and it's supposed to be a, this mecca for techno. I don't know. I, I got. I. I, I kind of got beef with that. I'm not sure. I think there's a discussion to be had there, but probably not right now. And yeah. Not by us. You're right. You're right. Anyway. But yeah. Anyway, this is the uh, the Last Planet podcast. This is the Last Planet podcast. I'm. My name is Lush. Brad Lush. Uh, his man is Binger. Sam Binger. The Galden Bringer. <laughs> yeah. So you had the show last night here in this, the newly minted Last Planet HQ, which is looking very nice. I was here a few weeks ago, and they've definitely pulled it together from the last time I was here. I was actually sleeping on that floor a few weeks ago, but that's another story. Um, so the party was good. It was rammed. It looked good on the internet. Everything which is really what internet. it's all about, you know. That's like right. I basically, I based my career around like three things. Like, did it respond well on the internet? It did. Did it look good on the gram? Ab- it, and you know, clearly, clearly. Did it get Twitter popping? Like the music really is at best a, a cold fourth to all those things. I agree with I mean? that. You know, I actually haven't even opened my Twitter account in a while, so I'm not. You know, it's funny you should mention that because I, I this just reminded me. I don't. You don't remember this, and I probably I have to would dig through my Twitter for like years. You and I had a mild Twitter beef probably five years ago. Oh really? Yes. About what? It was. I can't remember the exact context, but you made some com- you, you mentioned something about two step in drum and bass and talking about, you know how boring it is. I can't remember the exact word. That sounds like something I would tweet. That you, does sound the kind of shit. And we're talking, you, we're not talking about recently. We're talking. Okay. No, I was, I'll did, still make that tweet now. You, so, and you did it under your bailing Simpson account. Oh, so right, I, okay. so I, so I saw it and I was like, yo, that's pretty ironic for a slow house guy talking about how monotonous the two-step was in Joe and Bass. And we had a little, a little back and forth where we kind of saw each other's point and agreed to disagree. And then, you know, we, we loved it out. Hugged it out, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, I mean, I can dig. It's got, I go to about, I don't know how many years it is. I'm not going to do it because I haven't even opened my Twitter account in a while. I used to be prolific on Twitter, but now I'm... Uh, now you I, fell off hard, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I look just at me. can't even... Smashing Twitter. You're smashing Twitter, yeah. yeah? This guy's fucking, this guy's the fucking orator on, on Twitter, yeah? He's the <laughs> oracle. Anyway, so uh, that just reminds me... Do you want to revisit that, B? Do you want to have that discussion again now? Uh, well, I mean, we could talk about Bailing a Simpson Project if you want, but we can get into that later. I mean, I don't know. If this you, you know, you, you set the trend, set the, set, set the agenda, set, set control the agenda. This, this podcast. Okay, well, 
All right, let's start from the beginning. Okay. I, I asked you some other questions before, before we had our technical difficulties. Shout out to Matt Lovehurts, who can't get it together, but he <laughs> seems to got it. Now he's got the fancy iMac. You would, you would, all these mics, you would, it, would, it leads the uh, subterfuge that you think that he's a professional, but really it's fucking hack. But anyway, uh, so I forget how we started off, but we'll just go. Yeah, I think it's, me, ba- it's pretty much like that, I think. Give yeah. me your, uh, so obviously, look, you've had a number, you, it took you a, as a journey to get to where you're at now with, we'll call it the Sam Bingo Project. Where, give me, where did you start out with music? What was, you know, when you were growing up, what was, what were you into? What, what got you to realize, you know, like this is, uh, you know, uh, some guys are into sports, some guys are into whatever, I'm into music. What, what, take me there. Yo, I mean, I guess like going way back, apparently when I was like a little kid, I always used to get all the pots and pans out of my mum's, uh, you know, the kitchen and get little chopsticks and start like making little beats in them. And like when I was really young, and then, um, yeah, I guess my mum and my dad sort of saw that interest and got me playing piano, did all the class, did like loads of classical piano stuff, which is kind of frustrating because classical piano is very much read what's on the paper. You know, you can interpret it in terms of like your feel and how you, you know, you read those guidelines, but it's still very much like don't improvise, you know. So I never really wrote music in terms of writing on the piano. But, um, and I played drums for ages as well. And like looking back, I missed the point of that entirely because I was always, I was like, you know, 12 or whatever playing drums, I was like, yeah, the sick thing is to go really fast. Well, that's not the point of drumming at all. The point of drumming is to like keep a rhythm and keep a, keep a kind of vibe going. But anyway, that was like, you know, I think that's probably had a big influence in terms of how much of what I do now is percussive and like very drum led. But um, yeah, my dad was really into uh, Wendy Carlos, who was the composer behind the Clockwork Orange theme. And she did like these massive, Sorry, did, did I just hear a whoop? There's, there's, where we got, well, we got love for Clockwork Orange in here. Yeah. You identify with the characters? Okay, uh, all right. Yeah, anyway. Can't get the stuff. Obviously drug addicts. Like, yeah, obviously, it's just you know. embarrassing, really. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so anyway, so like, she would do these kind of like mad reinterpretations of Bach or, you know, um, Beethoven, whatever, all on modular synths. My dad would play all this off, you know, record. And I think that's probably, you know, maybe that like set the seed for wanting to do something electronic. I was always fascinated by keyboards and synths and stuff. Like, you know, when I turned, when I, I think when I passed my grade five piano, um, I made my mum buy me a keyboard. I've still got it, I still use it. So I kind of always been bubbling for a while. But then for a long time, when I was growing up, I just was totally, I was convinced I was going to become an engineer. I was going to go and like, you know, make bikes. I was really into biking. So I just kind of, all my, all my subjects at school were like super sciencey. And then, yeah, I just realized I was absolutely flopping it and, you know, went and did music. And here we are today. So what, in high school, like you guys call it high school in London, I'm in England, no, sorry. London. Manchester, right? Uh, well, actually, technically, I was, that, this was near Hull. I, was, I grew up near Hull in East Yorkshire. East, yeah. My dad's from Yorkshire, my dad's from yeah. Leeds. Okay, well, that's yeah. West Yorkshire, but still, it's all yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, well, we're like the bastard sons. But so, <laughs> no, so, to be honest, East Yorkshire's more like the bastard sons. So yeah. uh, somewhere down the line, we're, we're both like Viking offspring. Yeah, I'd say yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so, what, it, so in high school or... Yeah, it was all like physics and maths and science technology. That was like my complete focus. What were you guys listening to? What was I listening to? I mean, you know, obviously when you're 14, you have your metal phase. Like, you know, mom, you don't understand me. I was going to Sepultura. We're talking British metal or? or? No, nah, like also, you know, Sepultura, um, Slayer, all the classics, Machine Head, um, Fear Factory, like pretty rubbish, to be honest, a lot of it. <laughs> but, um, and then, you know what it was, right? I think when, I think when I was about 16, right, I bought the first placebo album, which I loved. I thought it was wicked. I listened to it on loop loads. And then after about a month, I was like, yo, you know what? All these songs, they've got the same drums, the same bass, the same guitars. At the time, I was listening to um, Navigator on Radio 1. They just started doing One in the Jungle. Jungle. Yeah, Yeah. MC Navigator. And I was hearing these tunes. I was like, yo, these tunes have all got different drums. Every tune sounds different. This tune's got a sample of a lion in it. This one's got the sound of the ocean in it. You know, this one's got some smooth. It's like every single tune you do can have like different, completely different sonic characteristics. This is really interesting. And that kind of... That kind of really got me, and then I think around about the same time, I guess like the photo, first photo album came out. Yeah. Well, not maybe not the first one, but Modus Operandi. Modus came Operandi, out. yeah. And like that was the life changer. Yeah. So yeah. complete life changer. Kind of. So I think getting bored of the guitar drum aesthetic, listening to to One in the Jungle and a few techno shows as well that were on local radio, and then also hearing you know um, Modus Operandi, and I was just like, yeah, this stuff's amazing, and this is this is kind of really got me excited again. So the foundation of where I guess your high school year is. We're talking mid to late 90s, obviously with Jungle. 
Jungle and I mean also you know, it's not cool but Big Beat was massive like you know I do remember that phase yeah. Chemi- even yeah. like Chemical Brothers you know when they when they came yeah. out it was just this dude's like wow this is amazing I mean it got very cheesy very quickly like with some of your, your Fat Boy Slim yeah. stuff and beyond that but even the early Fat Boy stuff was was sick but then it, you know it just appealed because it was like big drums you know crazy noises. I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember the first time I heard Josh Wink, High State of Consciousness, and it's just like, how do you make that noise? How does that noise Bro, change I, all the time, but it stays the same, but it's different, and it's going fucking crazy, so yeah. It's funny you should say that, because you know how certain records, you remember where you were the first time you heard them? I, I remember where I was when I first heard that Josh Wink record. Where were you? It was, well, in Toronto at a rave called Harmony, which was in 1994, in the summer, yeah. and that fucking tune came on, and you know, it's got that crazy the build of up, the slowdown, and I was just... Uh, you know, you have those moments where you're standing on the dance floor and you feel like everything's sort of panoramic around you and you're like a, a, a spectator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just watching people go nuts to that build yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, And then we had a club in Toronto that used to be called, it was at the, t- well, it was, at that time it was called Oz, but it was actually kind of where the rave scene started in Toronto. It was, at one point it was called Factory. And uh, that, being in that club as well, summer of 94, or might, might have been 93, that when that record came out, well, I think I think I was aware of it a bit later, but yeah, just, just yeah. that kind of those kind of moments where you're like, okay, this is just sounds that I've never heard before. They're crazy. Like, I don't know how yeah. you make them. Yeah. And I want to know how you made them. You know what I mean? So. So from from early on, you had a you weren't just because I like I know when I was younger, it was like jungle or nothing. Don't I don't want to hear it. Well, it's hardcore or nothing. No, I was never a purist. I never have been a purist. I've always enjoyed a lot of different stuff and how you can mix it together and make some it different from two things that maybe don't gel together. You know what I mean? So. Well, that actually that I, that actually answers a lot because that really shows me how you kind of got to where you are now uh, and where you've been along the journey because you've had, I first became aware of you, I want to say seven years ago or so with the Baobinga project. Okay, right, yeah, It's all the 147. It was my friend Marcus Visionary who he was he was uh, experimenting with his own 140 stuff. That stuff was wicked, man. And, and you know, I need, I need to link with Marcus when I come to Toronto because I haven't managed it yet. So apologies, Marcus, man. Well, we can, we can make that happen, but... Uh, he at the time he was he was experimenting with the 140 stuff, so he would play sets, and he was like, "Yo, this there's this this guy Bao Bingo is making stuff that kind of fits what I'm doing." And so I was aware of you through that, and I was buying your stuff through that, and then uh, that kind of I don't know what I mean. Obviously, I don't know you, so I don't know how that played out. But then I remember you got the Bailing and Simpson project, which was like Bristol slow disco house, which I was feeling as well because at that time I was kind of getting back into garage. Through, we were getting into funky and that brought us back to garage and then that kind of just made me start listening to house music again and I'm just you know how it is you're just looking for music and yeah, exactly. I came across the future boogie label and I was like I'm feeling this stuff I was like it's a little slow for me but I hit the master tempo on the CDJ which I'm sure is blasphemy to me because you guys are doing it, making it slow on purpose and I would play it like that but so I know just from those two like we haven't even touched on drum and bass yet or, but from just from that I know that you're your roots are very varied. I think like, like, like I was trying to say earlier, you know, like I've always enjoyed electronic music and dance music. I like, I like the idea of like strangers coming together in a room to dance to weird sounds. I think that's like a fundamentally positive thing. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, that is really the fundamental of the whole sort of culture. So I don't, I don't want to like discriminate. And to me, it's almost like the stuff that gets too far away from that and goes too, wor- too much too worried about like how heavy something is or like gets too, I think it's amazing. I do think it's amazing though, like, you know, like music that basically came from like gay, black Chicago, uh, whatever, can end up somehow like some offspring of that becomes GABA. Like that's a yeah. crazy journey and that's amazing as well. But for me, it was always stuff that kind of had that percussive element, that percussive drive, bit of funk to it and, you know, just didn't sound like rock music a lot of the time, you know? Which I guess would be jungle at that point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also techno, you know, you're hearing those Derek May bits, you know. The Absolutely, yeah. Ben Sims, all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's got the funk and it's got something different. Well, speaking of techno, we've touched on techno off air before, but I know that, uh, I know for just from reading um, a lot of your social media th- throughout when you put out music I, and just from your projects, you're very much into like dub techno, like basic channel. Love that stuff. Sound. Absolutely love it. So, which is a cool interpretation of techno for me because it takes the real for me dub music is the actual the foundation of all oh yeah 100 percent agree on that as well you know, like you know so king tubby is the father you know yeah. like that whole approach of using the studio as an instrument like again you know it's like if you think about if you think about going back to high state of consciousness like you know if you wrote that riff down it's really basic it's basically one note mm-hmm. but the sound of it is amazing 
And that's the whole thing with, with dub, you know, you take like basic musical elements and you work them with effects and with mutes and phase and reverb and you make something that's completely otherworldly out of it. And that's such an important part for all dance music, you know, taking some it and, and just working the basic sonics rather than necessarily the, the music of it, you know what I mean? Creating a groove out of it. Yeah, yeah for real. Well, it's that, that actually, so I know you're a gearhead. Mm. I, know, I just know that, gather that just from smoke a lot social of gear. media. Smoke a lot of gear. No, I don't. I don't smoke any gear. And, and uh, twist a lot of knobs on gear. Twist not a lobs. Uh, do you have formal studio training? Yeah, I did. At university, I did um, music, acoustics, and recording. And from that, I basically realized that I didn't really understand acoustics. And I didn't want to work in a recording studio, but I still quite like music. So that was the, that was the scenario there. The main reason I asked that is because I... I remember a few years ago you did one of those. I I, I don't. I want to say it's Red Bull. I can't fact, remember the fact thing. The fact that uh, against the clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you and you were talking about and doing. You were just like mic like miking stuff up and just like banging on shit, making your own percussive elements basically, and and building rhythms out of that. So to to me, I was like, well, that's you know. You have this whole generation of producers that I call them the fucking Ray Keith sample pack crew. You know, they got their they got their CD of the Ray Keith sample pack and they just make the same shit and it's all in the box and there's no they're not really stretching themselves. And then someone like yourself, you're like you know, miking something up is a higher level of, of production. So I was curious if you had any formal training. Well, you say that, but like really, it's not that much difficult. It's just it's just taking that extra step to do it. And like for me, the stuff that has always grabbed me when I listen to a tune is like, have I heard this before? Or does it, you know, is it doing something fresh? And does it have like a, a sonic characteristic that grabs me, you know? Like, I agree. I mean, you know, certain sounds just always work. Like an 808 drum kit just always sounds good. But yes. you can still process it in a weird way. You could, you can run it out through a guitar amp and record it back in. And I think it's just hearing stuff where it's like, okay, I can see there's an element of like trying something creative in this. You know, yeah, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, if a tune's good, a tune's good. But just for me making it to keep myself interested and to keep it fun, the fact that I know I've made a custom sound that no one else has got, like even in terms of just doing like your own finger snaps, like nobody else has got these fingers. Exactly. So it's going to yeah. sound a certain degree unique. Whether I'm on notices or not, I don't know, but it keeps the process fun for me. And if it's not fun, like it, honestly, like if you're going to sit in a studio for 10 hours a day, like doubting your sanity, going completely mad and, you know, losing various, you know, friends, girlfriends and what have you over, over this, you might at least make it fun. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, uh, that's paramount to the whole thing, you know? Um, that you can hear in your music that you have a unique sound. That's what's, that's what's propelled you. So, I mean, that leads me into where you're at, you know, with, let's say, where you're at with your own bass. Uh, I've read, you know, you're, you're often referred to as being operating on the sort of the fringes of drone bass. Hmm. And in my opinion, everything's, uh, like, I'm, because I come from hardcore and jungle where you played everything together, um, for me, I don't like that because it's like a good DJ scans the whole genre and picks the best of the best and mixes it together. So you got what you're doing and you have what Noise is doing and there's no reason they can't be in the same set as long as you put it together properly. Oh, definitely. I mean, so, I think that's a, that's a good sign yeah. with Critical as well. Like, Kazra is, you know, has managed to create a label where, like, someone like myself or Hieroglyphics can exist on the same label as Emperor and Mephius. E exactly. And, like, you know, sonically, there's a big difference between it. Tempo-wise, we're in the same kind of world, but it doesn't have to... Be seen as this completely separate thing. It's like it's, again, it's like it's dance music. It's up tempo dance music, and that's 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 what I'm excited about. You know. So, do you consider yourself on the fringes of drum and bass, or do you feel like you're a, a you know fully part of drum and bass? I don't really think about it too much, to be honest. I think that what's what's been fun recently is that there's there's stuff come out which which um, doesn't need to be categorized like that. Like, and I think a lot of that comes down to footwork and juke. Agreed. Yeah. Like, you know, that's that is like 160, 160 BPM, which is actually what jungle was originally around exactly. that kind of speed. Yeah. And obviously, it wasn't so bothered about like amazing production. It was more about just catching a vibe and chopping up interesting samples. And I think then the way people like Home Unit and Fracture uh, ran with that idea has been super, super good fun. And like you know, for me, I like to play a set that can start with some footwork and end up with some you know some raging jungle or some raging drum and bass, even like you know some mm -hmm. serum or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think trying to like worry about like oh is it this or is it that is is it's not something I really think about too much. You know. Like, I'm, some of the stuff I'm doing at the moment is, is basically dancehall, but again, it's at that tempo range, so you can mix it yeah. with, with, some, with some jungle, you can mix it with some, um, some ohm unit, which more sounds, all that stuff. Yeah. It's just, I think when it gets too pigeonholed, it's, it's dangerous, you know? Like, there's, there's a couple of things that, like, aren't good for dance music, and one is, like, pigeonholing, and two is coke. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, if people start doing too much coke, generally the music gets rubbish, and they become horrible bastards as well. 
And secondly, if, if people get too worried about, like, oh, this is deep tech, and oh, it's tech deep, it's like, you're missing the point, you know what uh, I mean? I agree. I mean, that's the, exactly, that's the point, and that's the idea. You're playing, we play more sounds next to uh, whoever, man. If Bad Company makes a rhythm tomorrow, I'll play it, if as mm. long as it's a rhythm, yeah. you know? So I was curious if you felt, as a, if you do feel like an outsider, or if you, because the critical is, for in my opinion, if I was giving out awards, the last few years, they would have gotten labeled the year because they have that varied roster. You know, I, I'll, the releases will come out. I buy all your stuff. I buy all Hieroglyphist stuff. I buy all Ivy Lab stuff. I got to have a double listen to maybe current value, but, you know. Well, uh, that, that's fine. I think yeah. it, it's a sign of a strong label where Absolutely. you're not going to, where not everyone's going to love every release. Yeah. You know, it's because if you've got a label where everyone in a certain little world loves every release, then by definition, you've limited it to that little world. Absolutely. You know, like a yeah. strong label, as like, you know, some people like this bit, some people like that bit, and that's cool because the guy, you know, Kazra, he appreciates it all. He appreciates it all, he can see what's good, and he can, you know, he's got the confidence that that's gonna work. So you being, you being sort of affiliated with that label has sort of opened your, like, opened people who are more close-minded within drum bass up to your style. And, and what you guys, I, I say you guys, I'm talking about yourself, More Sounds Fracture, Ohm Unit, Chimpo. Uh, you guys have sort of, you've brought back, a, for me, someone like a, a long-term listener, you've brought a lot of that fun from Jungle back into the music. I mean, I, I would never claim that, but I'm glad that you feel that No, way. I'll, I, there's been, you know, I've been playing this music since hardcore. So mm. there's been periods in this music where I've, there's been less, like oh, if man, I scan no. the, whole, the whole spectrum for music, there'll be times where it's like, well, I only got, literally, there's 20 tunes in all of Joan Bass that I love right now. Well, yeah, I mean, there's times I mean, where it's like, there's hundreds, you know? I was going to say, like, I remember a while back in Bristol, I heard someone play, like, a, a full retrospective from, like, you know, 94 to current day, Jungle D&B. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a point around, like, 98, 99, where you can just hear all the girls leaving. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, and that's <laughs> when Garage happened, so it's... Yeah, it and you know, you know what, this is actually, this is actually such a sort of important point that I learned myself, because I remember when, when the garage thing happened in the UK about 98, 99, I was like, I was a dedicated junglist. So I was drum and bass, you know, I was, you know, I was really into all that stuff and I was reading Knowledge Mag and there was all these, this kind of talk about like, now nah, real, real drum and bass heads don't like garage, it's girly. Yeah. And like, That's I bullshit. bought into that like an idiot. And like, yeah. I was listening to it, I was listening to it, I was like, yo, this stuff's actually kind of sick. No, but, but I'm not allowed to like it because yeah. I'm a drum and bass head. Yeah. And I missed out yeah. on so much good music. And looking back, I'm like, yo, I never want to make that mistake again. So I have a thing now where if I hear something that I don't really get, it makes me want to listen to it more. So like when people, when, when hip hop started getting all the kind of the, the, the trap stuff, and I don't mean like the rave trap, I mean like actual trap, like yeah, you know, yeah. your Jeezy's, your, your Gucci Mane's, Young Thugs and this stuff, like it took me a while to get it, but I love it. And it's been a massive influence on what I do. And I think the point where you stop challenging yourself musically is the point you might as well just get a pair of slippers and listen to like, you know, it's like, it's like your dad only listened to Credence Clearwater with Revival or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's like you've, if, you've talked about the good old days. Yeah, you've got it. Like, like my day, real music. Yeah, there's always good music being made. It yeah. just might not fit what you think it should be. But that's the problem is more likely the problem with you, not with the music, you know? Agree, and, that, and during those periods is when I would go and rediscover Garage and when mm. Funky came in and all this. So that's, it all ties together. For me, it's all jungle anyway, because it's the same melting pot. Yeah, you know, the, hard, the hardcore continuum or whatever. It's exactly I, I actually what just did. I just did the... Uh, no, but I, I, I... I feel bad for doing that. I, you know what, though? That, that concept, I buy into that completely because I... No, it makes sense. It makes I a lot of sense. 100% buy into that. So I, I, I love that idea. But I, I was curious how if you felt, because everyone say, oh, it's the fringes of drum bass. I'm like, man, it's just good music. Like, fuck. I mean, I'll, I'll be it's honest. 170, 160, you can, you can mix it in, play it. You know? I mean, I'll be honest. You know, like, I definitely end up on some lineups and I'm like... Okay, well, I'm definitely not playing the most banging tunes here, yeah. and you know I'm probably going to be a bit of a stretch for some of the crowd, but that's fine. Like, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not like super young and insecure about that. Like, maybe when I was younger, I'd have worried about that more. But like, if I know that I'm playing a good set, even if the whole, all the crowd isn't going completely mental the whole time, provided I'm happy with what I've done and I feel it's represented myself, then I'm okay with that. You know, like, I mean, um, home unit have this kind of term which is like very frustrating about, about dance music sometimes, it's the obligation to smash it. Yeah. Like, if you're a DJ, you've got to be there, you've got to have everyone having their hands in the air the whole time. And it's like, some of my, my best moments, either DJing or being in the clubs, there'd be no hands in the air. No. Everyone's just be, had, had, been, had their kind of like, their hands down, and they're just shuffling along, and they're locked into a groove. It's not about, you know, when, when every tune is trying to get the reaction, the hands in the air going crazy reaction, then you're just kind of, the danger is that you're ending up on a lowest common denominator tip. Yeah, and, that's, and that's been my argument with a lot of, 
I call it the festival side of drum and bass. And it's Wait. been very frustrating for me as a DJ who plays a lot of that stuff in Toronto, those kinds of events where the crowd expects that. And I'm sitting there and I'll play, okay, here's two or three that I like that have a beeline in them. And now you're going to get two or three Chimpo and Bingo tunes. And you can see that it's a younger crowd and you can see they're kind of, well, what's going on here? And then you got to reel them back in with, all right, well, here's something from Noisy that has a beeline and is sick, you know, but then here's the fracture thing. I think, I think you have the, an obligation to educate like that. I think the important thing to remember is that, like, you know, when you're a DJ, you've got to be a leader, not a follower. I want a million percent. I would really recommend anyone that's, like, watching this and finds this in any way interesting, you know, all two of you, um, then I would definitely recommend, like, reading the Loafer interview on Resident Advisor where he talks about, you know, starting Swamp or even starting DMZ and clearing dance floors and just doing that for, like, a while until people caught up and having the confidence, like, no, what I'm doing is sick, I'm not going to pander, you're going to get this eventually, you know? It's um, like way back in the day, I was kind of involved in the break scene a little bit, and what killed that scene was, was it became obsessed with, we used to get booked in Spain loads, and in Spain they only wanted to hear like massive build-ups and massive breakdowns, and like just, that's what they go crazy for. When the tune actually dropped, they'd stop dancing. <laughs> and so everyone started just like writing tunes to fit that mentality, which meant that eventually the tune just became complete cheese fest with like, you know, three minute long build-ups. And outside of that little bubble, where it was smashing it, it was completely uncool. And also you had loads of bootlegs. It's like every other tune was like, you know, you're getting Pink Panther bootlegs, um, <laughs> just terrible stuff, which would kind of work on a dance floor, but it meant that anyone who was thinking about making that music just saw it and was like, this is just absolute cheesy rubbish. Because, and the problem there is, like I say, the DJs were worried about following the crowd rather than trying to lead the crowd, you know? I think, in the, I think when, when Jungle was in its heyday, that was the point, you had your, Strong characters. You had your Groove Riders, your Fabios, your Frost, your Bryans, your Randalls, who would do Dillinger's, that. especially Dillinger. Yeah. You know. I mean, well, Dillinger was. And yeah. That's that's a whole other discussion. There's. Yeah. I am. There is no bigger Dillinger stand on this planet than myself. Yeah. Yes. This is everyone in this room can attest to that. Yeah. That's that's my guy right there. Um, but Dillinger, see, but Dillinger's a perfect example, and it's actually something I wanted to brought because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about you know you're making your own sounds, your own percussion in the studio. The point of that is having your own distinct sound. Yeah. And Dillinger, of course, took that to the nth degree, you know, miking up his drums. He had that whole that era when he when he did the Cybertron album, oh, which is so just sick, so sick, phenomenal. And yeah. every single one of those tunes is still better than everything that's out now, in my opinion. <laughs> like literally, like there's not you can't have a smash down the dance floor tune. All this big festival drum and bass music. None of it's better than yeah. It you still play hard noise and it goes off. It's nothing. You can't you can't beat that. You play all aboard and it destroys any noise that tune mm. ever made. You know, it's just <laughs> the way it is. But but it takes you back. And like you said, the Fotec modus operandi. Like these are guys that had completely unique sounds. That was the second you heard that tune, you knew it was them. And it's mm. everything about it: the percussion, the the vibe. It was a sound that you hear. You, so when you, when you go out and you back in the day, obviously the producers weren't really DJing as much. It was you'd have to go and listen to Groove Rider or, or Randall or whatever, and they'd go out, and you don't know what you're hearing, but you'd hear, you know, that's, that's a that's, Dillinger I bet that's snare. a Doc Scott tune. I bet yeah. that's a Dillinger beat. That's, I that's, a that's an optical thing. filter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I, and I think what guys like yourself are doing is bringing that, listen, that's a Sam Binga tune. There's no question about it. You hear it. I, I can hear a tune, you know. It's funny because we had Chimple here a few weeks ago. My, my, my guy. That's... That guy is literally the funniest guy I've met in 2017, hands down. Big up, Chips. Yeah. Um, so the next day, being the train spotter, ever-living train spotter that I am, every t a track ID that I asked him for was you and him in, a, in a collab. Oh, that's wicked. There was some lethal stuff. You had a Hyph Mungo dub. Uh, <laughs> there was a Skepta Man dub yeah, yeah, and everything. Yeah. But the point is, I knew it was... I'm asking him for track ideas with the knowledge in my head. It's like, it's either him or Binga or... More sound. Yeah, yeah. I knew, but yeah. I'm just, I want to know for myself because I'm going to watch for it. And then he's like, nah, mate, those are all just dubs. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck you, you know? But not fuck you, but. Half, like, half, of, those dubs, right, half of those dubs, we had the, um, the Critical 15 Year Show where it was, uh, it was me, Chimpo, and Breakage back to back in London. And I was like, yo, Chimps, we've got to do something special for this. You know, yeah. 15 year show, it's a big deal. So he came down a day early and we just had like a, I think it was like a 12 hour with hardly any break session just doing all these edits. So that you know, we had some it's fresh to play, and they're great because they can just live in our sets for a bit. But yeah, yeah, no, they're they're lethal. But that's the point: is you guys have this unique sound, and for me, it's bringing the fun back into the music. That was miss the fun back into music without it being like like you said. Jeez. Look at me, hands in the air, let's yeah. smash down the place, rewind, triple drop, fucking mix in the nine. Everyone's fucking you know tired <laughs> of that shit. So you guys are bringing that vibe in, and for me, it's very important with drum and bass to have that because it's. 
it's giving everyone else in the music a kick in the ass. Be like, look, like it doesn't have to be like this all the time. You know what I mean? You can you can space it out the, a bit. The thing is, it's a natural it's a natural thing in dance music to for it to tend towards going harder and heavier and harder and heavier, and it's not necessarily a healthy thing. Like we saw it with with techno, like yeah. you know, from the kind of very soulful Detroit era. By the late nineties, you're in like loop techno, yeah, like just sub Jeff Mills ripoffs. I hate it. Just yeah. like even like a four, you know, it wasn't like a one bar loop. It wasn't even a two beat loop. It was like a literally a one beat loop. And you know, there's no melody. Mm -hmm. I mean, I quite liked it because I'm an idiot. But like with hindsight, again, it was, it, was a, it was a it was a one dimensional. What you know, it, you'd gone so far down that alleyway, you could nowhere else to go. So with dubstep, like dubstep started out this deep meditative yeah. kind of sub bass, and you had a few heavier tunes, which would be like a highlight of a night but you wouldn't stay there the whole time. But then, because those tunes got a bigger reaction, then people started making more tunes like them, and then they became the bass level, until you end up with you know, some of the ridiculous shite that you hear now, where it's just everything up to 12, you know, maximum volume all the time. You know? So those sort of peaks in different, we'll call them movements of music, where some, some of which you've been involved with. For example, let's say, for example, how you got from Baobinga to the Bailing and Simpson to Sam Bigger, was it? Situations like that where you're like, this music that I'm making, it's not like everyone else is interpreting it wrong and they're making too much shit and it's just, I don't see where this is going, so I'm getting restless as an artist and now I'm going to try something new. Is it like a conscious decision or just kind of like, you know what, I feel like making Jungle today? Um, I mean, the Sam Binger thing started completely by accident. Like, Ohm Unit came over to Bristol. We were going to write some slow house stuff because he, you know, he did a lot of that stuff like the Corridor, you know, the 100 BPM, real mm -hmm. slow chuggers. And he was like, no, nah, let's do something at 170. And we wrote Triffids, which came out on Exit Mosaic Volume 2 album. Yeah. So that was completely by accident. But I think that actual, that lack of planning helped the whole project really well because it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like calculated. And I've tried to maintain that, like, just like you say, just I'm going to sit down and make something that seems fun. And it might not get anywhere. It might not do anything, but it's what I'm into, you know. So, again, going back to keeping it fun and keeping it interesting, that's the, that's the important thing. I don't think like trying to contrive it ever really works out too well. So do you see, based on that, and I guess th this is actually, I don't know, kind of a loaded question. Do you feel like because of that, there's a, there's a ceiling you can reach with this project, this current incarnation? Or is it just a case of, man, I'm just going to see where it goes. And if I get to a point where I feel like I've done everything I can within this tempo, I'm going to see something else that, you know, like you said, you make a lot of stuff that could be classified as dance hall, for example. I, th I think there's enough room within it for me to keep just doing interesting stuff and, and finding it fun. Whether people still want to buy it and play it, I don't know. But I've generally found that when I try and overthink it or when I try and, like, do what I think the market wants, yeah. that's when I just make absolute, absolute pish and it doesn't even get signed because you can, you can, you can tell that it's, it's not genuine. And, like, I think, I think the intention behind music always comes through. Like, you can hear when something's cynical and you can hear when something's genuine. Even though on the surface they might sound so similar, that intention behind it comes through. So when I, whenever I've tried to like be a little bit cynical or try and do something that I think will, will hit, it's not really worked, you know what I mean? So I appreciate that, because to me that answer shows me a sort of a level of commitment, for lack of a better word, with your own base, which as a fan I appreciate, because it's like, all right, this, you're not going anywhere anytime soon. And no, that's plan important to, no. to me. As, as a fan of the music, that's important to me, because I, I your input and your input of your contemporaries is exceptionally important to this music right now. And uh, you're seeing it. It's, it's just trickled down. Like, you see tunes that aren't as noisy as they were two years ago. Oh. Across the board. Like, like I said, you get a tune from Noisy, and it's like, yo, that's, that's a rhythm. I'll play that. Noisy are obviously amazing producers. I mean, they're they can phenomenal. Do whatever, they can do whatever they want. Whatever you know, they want. So. But you're getting it. It's like, I find it, it, it's influencing everything in a positive way where guys are like, yo, you could roll out a little beeline, like a little Bristol roller, and it doesn't have to be... If we're going to mention Bristol Rollers, I've got to just big up DJ Die because I mean that's that's one of the sickest things about being in Bristol is like just wandering around and running into Die and you're like, oh man, you made Autumn, you made like Lily, you made so many. Let's talk about tunes. Bristol. Let's. So my understanding, so you said you were were you I'm, living in Manchester at one point and then you went. Yeah, to Bristol? I was. I grew up in East Yorkshire. Um, went to China for six months to teach English. Came back, went to university in Manchester, stayed there for like ten years, and then I've been in Bristol for a bit since then. My understanding, I've never been to either place. I've only been to London. My understanding, that, that's a shame, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on it. But my understanding of the two, if, I, if I'm from the outside looking in, Manchester is like a sort of a Detroit kind of situation where it's very industrial. Uh, and obviously they have a very rich musical history like dating back you know, to the 80s, Hacienda, mm. the Blue Mondays, all that stuff. And then it kind of, you had a guy called Gerald and you had, um, 
Heavyweight State, yeah. Heavyweight State, that Stone the Rave era, all that. Yeah. So they have this rich musical history. And then it kind of went a little quiet for a bit. And where now you have this whole, you got Chimpo, you got Trigger, you got that, the whole swing ting movement there. You have, it's, it's bubbling again. But then simultaneously, the whole time you said, you, you know, my understanding of Bristol is that it was a very artist-friendly place? I think, like, yeah, if Manchester's Detroit or Chicago, maybe, then Bristol would be San Francisco. It's, on, it's yeah. on the West Coast. It's hilly. It's always had a lot of hippies, and it's always got weird music. You know, and there's all, the, thing, the thing with Bristol that makes it unique is that, like, it's a small enough town that you can get to know everyone really quickly. Like, Bristol's, like, 420,000 people, you know? Uh, yeah. It's tiny. Um, it's near enough London that you can kind of access the industry if you need to, but it's far enough away that it can do its own thing. It's got a large student population. Students generally like to go out and pay money to listen to music. And it's always had a large Afro-Caribbean population. So there's always been sound systems, you know, reggae, reggae dancers, that kind of bass-heavy influence. And I think all those things have come together and made Bristol kind of unique for the last, well, 20, 30 years. I mean, there was a time where... More than, more than. Bristol, there was that time we're talking about that in sort of 98, 99, period of John Bass, all that we had yeah, was, full was Bristol cycle, was full and, cycle. Like, full cycle yeah. and Dillinger was all we had. Yeah. Everything else was fucking noise. For the most part, yeah. And so Bristol obviously has. I'm a diehard full cycle head. From oh, completely. Day, you know, the whole catalog from day yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they have they have their rich music. I mean, Massive Attack and Tricky and and Wild Bunch into the full cycle guys. And now again, it seems like another resurgence. There's yourself. There's DLR. Um, yeah, I mean, Omi lives in Bristol now as well. Yeah, yeah, I know Randall lives there now. Apparently. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's there's you know a lot, a lot of guys good, moving there. I mean, yeah, around the corner from my house, you've got Pinch, you've got Peverlist. Um, right. There's just there's you know the whole dubstep thing was massive. Um, there's been loads of good stuff, but I guess I guess with Manchester, I wouldn't want to speak of Manchester too much because I'm not like you know I'm not Manchester born and bred, and that is a city which has serious like hometown pride. But after the kind of the early '90s massive rave explosion, a couple of things happened. I guess you had the birth of Oasis and that kind of Britpop thing, and then suddenly everyone everyone wanted to wear a parka and have the microphone up there and sing like this. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, Manchester was just kind of, like, quite a, a rough place in the 90s. You know? Yeah. There was, like, a lot of gang yeah. shit going on, and it maybe wasn't necessarily the, the most easy environment to, like, be so creative on the electronic scene. I don't know. I don't, again, I, don't quote me on this because I don't know the full details, but... You know, I think that the kind of the, the, the huge, overwhelming presence of Oasis and Britpop. Um, I mean, when I moved there in like 98, you know, it seemed like every other person wanted to be in a band, wanted to be. But then again, at the same time, you had it. You have an Eastern Bloc throughout that whole time, like selling huge amounts of records. Right. So I don't know. It's an interesting one. It is interesting. I mean, I, I remember it's funny because I remember the whole gangster thing kind of deaded off jungle in Manchester. I mean, mm. we are, I'm, I know. Many stories from the guys coming here over the years. I mean, there's that famous story with MC Moose going to the hospital. They got messed up pretty bad and stuff. Just being guys letting off shots in the party and stuff. So I know that Manchester had that rough patch there that sort of affected the music because of all the street stuff, whatever you want to call it. But just to be clear, Manchester is like one of the most amazing cities in the world. Like, like on the one hand, Manchester is like a big, grey, industrial, dirty city. And that's, that's true. And it rains a lot and it's kind of quite depressing. On the other hand, it's the best city in the world. And like... I remember when I first moved there, and everyone, you know, all the locals I've met would be like, yo, are you like in Manchester? I was like, yeah, it's all right. They're like, yo, listen, it's the best seat in the world. They were like, all right, you know, calm down. Once you've been there for three years, you're like, actually, yeah, this place is amazing. There's just something about the energy and the self-belief of Manchester which just carries it through. And I think you're seeing that now with, like, you know, the Levels Project, the, the Felix and Strategy, kind of children's use, all this stuff coming through. That self-belief has just, has, just, has, just, has just blossomed you know, and, and kept the kept it going. So, yeah. It feels like those two regions are really feeding the creativity in drone base, Bristol and Manchester. For real. It, it really it does feel like that. And you know, London seems to be playing catch up, which is fine. Fine by me, yeah. because as a northerner I'm always like, nah, London's <laughs> London, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so based on obviously you, you got the dipset jacket on, I know <laughs> I know we share an affinity for southern rap. Oh yeah. Not definitely. just New York rap, but southern rap. So I want I want to touch rhythmically you can you can Hear the parallels, obviously, between traditional Southern, what we call mm. traditional trap production. We're talking hypnotized minds and yeah, yeah, the yeah. New Orleans guys, Manny Fresh and, and oh, Manny Fresh. And Manny Fresh is a genius. You can rhythmically, you can hear the the um, parallels between that and grime, which is to me always been interesting. I'm always I'm big on parallels mm. because those are two completely independent of each other developments where they fit together. Yeah, I mean. 
I think what I really like about the Southern stuff is, and about Grime, is just the lack of pretense in a lot of it. It's like Grime was like, yo, we, we got a PlayStation, we got to make some beats. Yeah. Grime's like, we've got an 808, we've got, we, we got a sampler, let's make some beats. It's just straight up, you know? And I love that. And even, even but beyond that, even just little things like in, in, in Southern hip hop, I love just the straight 808 hat. Like, it's not trying to be, it's not trying to be Jay Diller, it's not trying to be wonky or anything. Not that anything wrong with Jay Diller is obviously a genius and amazing, but like, just that thing of like, yeah, this hat is just going to roll on, and that's yeah. all it needs to do. And I love that. That's that's all DJ Paul and Juicy. They need to get. Oh, together. exactly. Just that this whole hat, you know? EDM trap thing. They should just be all of their money should just be getting filtered to those guys. They, exactly. They created it and they don't get any credit for it. And as a very hardcore three six fan, it bothers me a lot. Oh, oh man. Well, you you weren't you weren't there last night. If, if you told me that and you've been there last night, I would have run some three six in my set because there's like right right in spinners. Yeah. It's about one sixty four BPM. Yeah, you can mix it. Yeah. So that mixes yeah. in super nice. Yeah. That. Shout out to Hui in Houston for putting me on that one. I got to be honest. So all right. So we're talking regional rap. They give me, for you, Memphis, Houston, Atlanta, Oakland, or Texas. Or not Texas, or uh, um, New Orleans. Well, I mean, that, that all, all hugely, I mean, I love Hyphy. Um, I'm trying to actually do some work with some Bay Area vocalists. Like, Rick, I love Rick Rock Beats, you know, all that kind of classic yeah. era. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, so like, yeah, I mean, Hyphy, just the energy of it, the fact that it's like up-tempo and danceable, yeah. love that, and it's, it's unique sound. Again, it's, it's like a distinctive thing. You hear one of those beats, you hear an E40 or a, a Mac Dre or whatever, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is, this is very clearly that thing. Um, Houston, you know, obviously, when I, I was so happy to get to play in Houston last year, and I got to go to the DJ Screw Shop, and by complete coincidence, I had a really bad cold at the time, and I'd hoofed a load of costume. So I turned up there like completely mashed on Robert Tussin. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is all kind of wobbly. Yeah, you definitely got the vibe dead on. Got the vibe there, but yeah, so like, you know, all the like, like Slim Thug, yeah. um, Paul Wall and all that. But even, even the, some of the new stuff, like the, the Source movement, you know, Source Walker, Source Twins, that I'm really stuff. I'm Maxwell Cream. He's like my favorite yeah, rapper in the yeah, last yeah, two years. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, literally, he's my guy. And him, it, the parallel, I understand that I'm not sure if they're working together, but I know that Skepta is really fucking with yeah. Maxwell Cream. And again, it's because you can hear the parallels in the music. I think it's also just distinctive. It's like, I think part of the reason that Grime is, is doing well now, as opposed to why UK hip hop never really popped worldwide, is like a lot of UK hip hop sounded like bad versions of New York hip hop. It, it was horrible. Yeah. Well, exactly, I agree entirely. Whereas like awful. Grime is its own thing, just as Houston rap sounds like Houston rap. Exactly. So yeah, and then obviously New Orleans, I'm a big, I'm a big mystical fan. Like to yeah. me, mystical's voice is the blues. Yeah, yeah you know, it it's, is. It's jazz yeah. and the blues in like one shouty, angry man. But, um, uh, New Orleans is another one that they don't get, you know, like obviously before Catch Money was, was Master P and them and KLC and Beats by the Pound, they yo, dictated KC, that the sonic, the drummer. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, that, that sonic template, them and, and Paul and Juicy, I mean, that's the sound that is, uh, it's became grime, it's become all this trap it's bullshit, all, all it's, links, it's, yeah. it's all, you know, it's, it, it's really interesting culturally to me that Definitely. it's very regional, uh, re regional rap for me is a very interesting thing to just, absorb and study because you, it, it is very much like Manchester and Bristol and yep. London. It's, that's, it's I just think that. the accents are amazing as well. I love the fact that like it just, for me, like I've never been a lyrical guy really. Like I don't, the good lyrics are great, but more important to me is how someone's voice sounds. One million like, percent. Like Slim Thug basically can make the same song over and over again. And I don't care because it sounds great. Exactly. You know what I mean? This, that, well, the that, voice is an instrument kind of. Completely. It's yeah. like, you know, all, all, a lot of the best Southern rap songs are about like, you've got a car, candy paint car, yeah. you know, um, don't spend their money on, on many women, you know, you're the man, you're a player. That's, and it's like, yeah, none of it's, none of it's like some flipping conscious rap teaching you about the struggles of the community and rare, rare, rare Which and all is, that. It's important. I mean, there's it's a, good that it's stuff very exists. important. You need to have that. You need that yin and yang. But, but I, I feel think like to see that one's better than the other, like the problem is that a lot of people, especially in the UK, who are into that kind of more lyrical New York sound often tend to look down on the Southern stuff because they're like, oh, it's, it's, it's not lyrical. But like, it's not trying to be. No. Don't, you, don't, you don't listen to it the same way. It's like, you don't listen to a, a Young Jeezy track or a Gucci Mane track necessarily the same way you listen to a Ghostface track. No, you or, don't. Or a Gangstar track. It's like it's a different way of listening. And that's, that's that pretentiousness that always the East Coast. I guess that's the whole London looking down on Chris. I guess it's a parallel. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously there's loads of amazing New York rap and stuff. And of like, course. that stuff is, is, all, is all classic and amazing. But the problem I have is that like it shouldn't be seen as superior. It's just a different thing. And like, you know, let this be this and let this be this. You know what I mean? I, I agree with you 100%. I, I, that's why I know, because and even just, I've heard you play and I know you, you'll throw in a few things that tempo-wise fit in and it, it all works, man. I, that's what I'm into. I'm into the parallels. I'm into connecting the dots. Between exactly. That, well, that, that, that's, you know, like, so much creativity is going like, what about if we tried that with that, you know? Yeah. Same, with, same with cooking. It's like, well, well, could we do this with this? Could we fry that with this? It's like, yeah, delicious. So, and that, yeah. That's the point. And that's why it comes back to you sort of 
quote unquote operating on the fringes because you're not, you're a fearless DJ, which I respect because I'm not going to say that I'm a fearless DJ. I'm not going to, but I, the point is, is that you should be able to play what you feel is right at the time. And it doesn't matter. If you're playing in a drum and bass party, there's no reason you can't play 3-6. There's no reason you can't play, you know, I remember a few years ago when Red Light came out, when, you know, you moved from yeah, the clips yeah. thing. I would play all those tunes in a party and smash down the place. Yeah. You know, you have your little, whatever you want to call it, 130, 140 section of your set, and then you go back into traditional drum and bass. And it would smash down the place because it's the same aesthetic. Yeah. Clips or red light was making drum and bass at 130. Exactly. The energy, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. The, tempo, the tempo is different, but the energy was the same. And like, that's really what's more interesting is that, you know, the, what, what hangs together aesthetically exactly. rather than is this strictly in this little box we've created. Okay, obviously, you've done a lot of collabs. Obviously, a lot, yep. of, lot, a lot of music that, for me, you know, you, have, you work a lot with Chimpo, you work a lot with Ohm Unit. I want to touch on the Ohm Unit stuff because I, I wanted to touch on the... I call it B-Unit because I'm a G-Unit fan, but it's actually Bunnit, isn't it? Well, technically, it's Boonit, I guess, because it's it Binga Boonit? Unit, so Boonit. Okay, that Boonit. was logic, but... I always call it B-Unit. That's fine, me, I'll take that. B-Unit. Exactly, that's what I call it. So I feel like when I scan the sort of collabs that you do... The stuff with Chimpo is more sort of in your face, dance hall, let's smash up the party. And with Omnia, I feel like you guys really push each other to um, experiment, but still keep it, you know, have that swing for the dance hall. But what I really like about the B Unit project is that the way you guys are keeping the branding and the vinyl, because it reminds me of sort of white label culture that I grew up on in the record store. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember going into Eastern Block in Manchester for like six months to a year waiting for Zinc Hello to come out, you know? Yeah. And yeah. like, yeah, you know, it's, it's like, that project is is like, how to put it, explain it? I guess it's just really, it's not forced, you know, like, let's do some stuff. Hank come in the studio and it's like, yo, what can we do to make this fun? You know, it's like, okay, let's put a microphone here and bang a kick drum and run it through a distortion pedal and just spend a day making weird sounds and see what happens, you know? Yeah. Or like, yo, I, you know, I've got a, um, I've got some, some, some ghetto tech samples. Can we work those into something? And it's like, it's just fun. We're not trying to like make it, you know, we're not trying to like necessarily do like, you know, boon it, bun it branded nights or whatever. We're not trying to become like the next Ram Records. It's just like, this is, this is us experimenting in the studio and this is what comes out. And it's like, some of it's quite percussive, some of it's quite melodic, some of it's a bit of both. It is just what it is. And I really like that. You know what I appreciate about it most is because it takes me back to Reinforced. Wow, okay. It I'll takes take, me back to that. Reinforced because the meaning that, the problem with, my problem with, a lot of the music right now is everything sort of has this purpose, this machine behind it. Like, oh, we're going to make, like you said, we're going to do a B unit branded night. We're going to do a tour and we're going to have, to me, it's just like, well, you know, reinforced, you know, Diego and Mark Mack would go in the studio. They do a whole project. Okay. Well, that's going to be Tom and Jerry. We're not going to put our names on it. It's just, it's out there. Tom yeah. and Jerry. Then we got waterproof. Then we got Jacob's optical stairway. You know, we got cold mission and they just put music out without, Hey, look at me. I'm the guy who made this. I'm so special. It's more like, well, let's just experiment and put music out. And I feel like you guys are doing that with this project. You're the, one of the very few people within sort of the realm of this drum bass that is not putting music out there with this sort of contrived machine of, oh, yeah, you know, it's, I'm going to, it's I mean, going to you know, be this big let's, deal. Let's, let's, let's be real. Obviously, we want the records to sell. You want it to we sell. We want people to play it, you know, but it's, it's, not, it's not got the machine behind it, perhaps. You know what I mean? It's like, we've done this. Here it is. I hope you all enjoy it. There, you know, what I mean, it's not like, okay. We're going to do a campaign. We've I got appreciate social, me social media strategy. There's no, like, you know, what I mean, it's not got all that madness with it. So, yeah. For me, I appreciate it because it takes me back to the days of buying records, where you know, you, the stuff comes in, you're like, oh shit, that's fucking, yeah. that's Fotec on an alias. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, and definitely. you get super excited about it. So I, oh, I appreciate you, the, I want to call it the restraint. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's that's fair enough. Like, yeah, you know, just white labels, hand stamped. There's some. It's quite fun to, to play with that, you know. Yeah, I I, I like that project a Thank lot. Thank you, man. Big ups. And then you you work a lot with Fra And then of course we got to touch on all the MCs. I mean, my favorite track on the Wasted Days album is it's called the Wasted Days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which for me, dude, that was the number one album of I want to say 2014, 15. 2015. That was the number one album that year. Oh, I played you, every track on that. Wicked. But my favorite track on that is the Slick Don track. Slick Don, yeah, man. I I, I want to see some more music with Slick Don. Yeah, I think that should definitely happen. There will be a another version of that coming out at some point this year. I, I did think. hear a remix. But I can't say it, yeah. too much about it. No, I did hear a more, I want to say, quote-unquote, drum and bass remix of it recently. You might have heard that, yeah. Yeah, I did. I definitely heard it. Okay. And I'm, I'm watching my inbox for, for critical stuff. Um, but you've def, you have a, you know, you've got a long history with Ryder Safiq. Yeah. You have uh, a long history with... And now, of course... Um, 
Oh my Redders. gosh. Redders. Yeah. Long history with Redders. And so I want to talk about that again. Is there a, when you make a track sometimes, is, are you making tracks specifically for like, I'm going to get so-and-so to spit on this? Definitely. Like yeah. I really enjoy making tracks, rhythm tracks for MCs. You can strip it down. You can make some weirder stuff and you can leave that space for the MC. And it's also fun getting an MC in the studio and seeing what they come with. And you know, occasionally if I'm feeling confident, I'll put a little bit of input into it. Like, oh, could we try it more like this or work that way? But I'm looking, the people that I work with generally just come with A grade stuff. You know, I'm not there like, okay, yeah, we can maybe use one line of that. Like you can kind of hear those songs where, you know, it says so-and-so featuring so-and-so and there's just one line they've been able to use because obviously they've been given some absolute garbage. Yeah. But no, it's, it's yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And I like, it gives it a bit of character and it just, again, it helps it stand out. I mean, the, obviously vocals in, in dance music and period, not just in drum bass, has always been this sort of ongoing battle. Like yeah, semi-controversial, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, are you selling out or are you just doing something that's, you know... I don't, I, and I think it's all in the presentation. When it's some big, you know, I don't know, corny diva vocal or a trance lead, yeah, maybe you're selling out. But when it's what you're doing, which essentially to me, you're just, it's grime. You're making grime at, at 170 or 165. Yeah, it's, me, it's, you know? it's, you know, it's, it's, is it... There's elements of grime in it, elements of dancehall with it. That whole thing of like, here's a rhythm and here's a vocal. That again, that applies across different aesthetics. You know, it's grime, it's also dancehall, it's also hip hop, I guess. You know, exactly. So. And that, again, it's the it's what I keep talking about, man. It's it, and I know it's what you're on. It's the parallels. It's yeah, the, exactly. connecting the dots, the the whatever, the hardcore continuum, whatever you want to call it. Uh, again, you're. I feel you're at the forefront of that, showing you, people man. like, look, man, like you don't. It doesn't have to be this all the time. You can. And you'll have some weird, you know, like you'll, you'll do a lot of, you'll have a lot of releases where you'll have this sort of like weird sort of, I like to call it an album cut, you know, like a weird dub techno mm. kind of homage, like just, I'm going to twist up some sounds for fucking three minutes and put a hi-hat on it and it progresses and I like it, so here you go, take it. Yeah, exactly. Again, not trying to like make everything be the smasher, be the banger, you know, it's like you've got to have some stuff which just exists. Favorite Jungle Records? I mean, I don't actually own it, but probably Fotec Complex has been getting a lot of play on YouTube recently. Just the and actually in um on the second Bunnit record, the the lead track Windmill Kick in the middle there's like some pizzicato strings going up. Yeah. And that was my little attempt to do a homage to uh, Complex, although it's nowhere near as good. But yeah, that's just just that is just a, like a perfect record. I played an old school vinyl set last week, and I played both sides of that record. If you can if you can rip that and send it to me, I'd be forever grateful, man. You can have the set. I, I have. You know what? Actually, the I mean, I mean, no, no, the rip, rip the actual record. No, no, I have, I just got the, uh, there's a digital copy, there's a digital, there was something that came out called, it was called the Fotec oh, really? un Unreleased Files, it's called, it was like a, a unofficial digital Fotec release, and that whole 12 inches on it. Oh man. I'll send that to you. Yeah, so please, man, that'd be That amazing. and, I'll send you just a whole Fotec folder, go amazing. man, modus operandi, all that stuff. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got all the albums and stuff, but yeah, just, just Fotec Complex is, is probably one of the old times up there, you know. No problem. And then um, another, another one I don't own, because I'm not, I'm not like a Discogs nerd, another one I don't own, be maybe like Firefox, um, Bonanza Kid. All time. Yeah. That is, it's tough to pick up all time Philly Blunt tune, because of obviously Burial yeah. and Mourning, but. That's probably the one. Just amazing. Such that's a the good one. Tune. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that's the see, that's the that there is my the perfect. What is the Bristol sound or what is the quote unquote full cycle sound? That Dr record. Running drums, yeah. simple bass that changes a few times. All it needs to be. And so uh, I think it's Blade Runner or Serum did a remix of that recently. Yeah. Spot on. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every set. All the new. All I do. I you know. I, despite all this whole fringes of DMB thing, I do really love what like Blade Runner, Serum, and all those guys are doing with the kind of the Philly Blunt rollers and stuff. Blade Runner was just here on Friday. I yeah. played with him and he was drawing tune man a lot of the remixes that he does but yeah it was it was a good time sick it was a good time so those so jungle records all right favorite uh uh you know what if we start getting into the rap we'll be yeah, here all yeah, day yeah. man we'll be here all day but uh okay favorite garage records then because we're, we're, we're we've talked about that parallel as well oh, man. favorite garage records um what's that um um new birth yeah, yeah. What well, anytime? Yeah, know. that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Quintessential four four. I really, I really like, I really like a lot of the speed garage stuff because I'm from the north. So like D and D diamond rings, I love that. <laughs> that's I. You know, I begged artwork to get. I didn't. I found out recently that was artwork. Oh, uh, you know, if I could have, if, if there's like a few, there's a few people I look at. And I'm like, I wish I could have their career. It'd be like yeah. masters at work. If I could be yeah. masters at work, that's a good career to have had. Damn straight. An right. artwork's career. You know, if you could have had an artwork's career, you've done well. See, for me, artwork. I came to artwork because I. Obviously, I, I heard about Magnetic Man, and then it actually turns out Artwork's wife is from Toronto. Right. And I know her from, from, from when she used to live here. So through that connection, I actually was able to sort of hook up with, like, he would actually pay attention to me enough on social media that he would actually follow me. And I found out, I want to say maybe two years ago, 
I kept hearing EZ playing the Diamond Rings. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? And I searched for it. And there's a, there's a different versions of it, but of then course. there's the artwork version. And I didn't know it was artwork. And then I, through Discogs, I realized D&D Productions was artwork. Yeah. And I hit him right away and I begged him for it. And he was like, yeah, no problem. Bang. And he gave it to me. And it's like, when I play a Garrett set, yeah. my Frieza and Plane and those guys, they joke that I play that tune every set. And it's like, because it's one of my all-time... If I had to pick five garage records, that's one of the Desert Island yeah, garage records right there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Catches the vibe for sure. Yeah, man. Uh, grime. Grime, uh, I mean... Do you know what? It's weird. With like the grime and dubstep thing, that the stuff that like kind of I was super into was almost like that crossover point before, like just after grime but before dubstep, the kind of the break step era. The so L- stuff like LB sort of stuff. Not even LB, more like uh, Dubchild, Search and Destroy, Toasty Boy. Uh, horsepower Productions and all that. Even even like that was it, 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 it's it's so it's super underappreciated, but like it's really due a resurgence, like kind of the bingo beat sound. Okay, so like yeah. Jamming. Yeah. And then also, but then also like Search and Destroy. Um, Oris J and Dark One. Oris J doesn't get the credit. Really, really doesn't. And like, he's, he's a Sheffield really soldier. Um, yeah. Super nice dude. That guy's that guy's a pioneer, and he does. He's actually the one that really put me onto the whole idea of like, you know, DJs have got to be leaders, not followers. Wow. You know, that was like his concept to me. So I was like, yeah, respect. Cool. So yeah, um, he doesn't. Yeah, that whole kind of era of like the kind of when Jada Flex was had a show in one extra, mm. kind of like to- early Toasty Boy stuff. Well, there wasn't really any late Toasty Boy stuff, but like, yeah, that era before before the kind of half-step became dominant, you know? I still had the kind of garagey feel. This is back when Casper was Quiet Storm and he was running Storm in Productions. I didn't know that Casper was Quiet Storm. Casper was Quiet Storm and he, he was sickest DJ, like just wow. straight 10-inch dubs and just mixing like an absolute demon. I This is, see, you learn something new every day. I yeah, love man. it. So that, that kind of era almost was like, obviously, you know, I'd love all the ground classics, you know, they're all amazing and mm-hmm. like all of the dubstep classics, but if I had to pick something that to me was close to my heart, it'd be that kind of era, like, you know, or you know, Dark One, Said the Spider or Taiwan Inc. Some of that kind of period. So talking yeah. like 2002? 2002, <coughs> excuse me, 2002, 2004, you know? Yeah. That kind of before the half step became so dominant. Kind know? of before the ASCII beat sort of took over and shaped it. Kind of bit more, more before, like before the DMZ sound kind of really dominated. Okay, so before it does, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like grime was kind of happening a little bit at the similar time, but mm-hmm. yeah, just that was a really interesting time. And at some point, someone's going to like go back to that era and look at it again and be like, yo, this is underappreciated and totally slept on. You know, for me, what was a really, I call it a moment, in sort of this hardcore continuum concept was right when Swamp started. And you had Swamp and you had Hessel Audio and you had all these guys and you, you know, stuff that Zed Bias, Zed Bias had that EP on Swamp and you had Joy Orbison just sort of came out and you kind of had that era where for me- Untold, untold. The untold that guy was stuff. sick. Like Anaconda, stop, stop what you're- Stop Roska that he did. Yeah, and it, Stop What You're Doing. Like that tune, Stop What You're Doing is, is like one of my all time favorite tunes. Un- unbelievable. And, you know what, you, asked, you said before about like how did, say, like, Baobinger end. Mm-hmm. Like, at that point, when all those tunes were coming out, like, you know, the kind of funky was really popping, Untold was doing his stuff, like, in that world, you know, the early Blawan and um, uh, Pariah and, I guess, like, uh, Pangea and stuff and the kind of Round Man stuff, it, it, was, it was super exciting. And then it kind of exactly. felt like a lot of those guys were like, okay, right now we're going to make techno. <laughs> It's and like it's I'm good. talking it's, it's, to myself right now, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and this, it's, all, it's all really good techno. It's, it's great. It is, but it but doesn't have that I didn't, I didn't freshness. Wanna, I didn't want to follow down that road. I was like, okay, this, this is... Yeah, that, that stuff was so exciting. Because as a drummer and yeah. someone who had that, you know, the junglist background, yeah. it was like, okay, you, okay, right, well, we're just making 4-4 now. That's cool, but like... So, when, so then actually, well, not too long after that was when Bailing and Simpson took off, and that was our attempt to do 4-4-4, but put a, a twist on it. So he was like, really tough DJ Sneak style chunky drums, yeah. but maybe like 110 or 105 BPM. You know, I just didn't want to, I've never wanted to do what everyone else is doing. So when, when all those cats were like, okay, cool, we're going to make sick techno, I was like, wicked, you do that, but I've got to find something else. And I've, that, see, I was really into that era. It was, I felt like it was like a year period where it was like everything, you had all the Swamp stuff, Lobster Boy and mm, Hessel Audio. And definitely. it was like so exciting because to me, I say it felt like Jungle at 130 BPM. Yeah, for real, and man. It was so exciting to me. And then same thing, all of a sudden, like Blow On, perfect example. He had that, You get you Got Me Down, whatever that track was. Yeah, the Brandy Prefix. Inc- the brand, incredible. And then all of a sudden, he's making this weird, twisted techno. And I'm like, well, what happened? Like, same thing, Joyo, Botica, all of them were making, like, Botica, When I Dip You. Yeah. Come on, man. That is an all-time classic. And then he, now he's making, it's not that he's shit. It's just, I felt that that was a really exciting, I felt like that was sort of the next step in the, for the continuum, so to speak, and then it just kind of fizzled out. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I don't want to dog on anything that happened after that because it's all, it's, it's still amazing, like, you know, Jorbison's techno is absolutely amazing. It is great, it but is. But, like, yeah. in terms of what I was into and, like, the level of excitement I had for that era, that era 
when it switched, I was kind of like, okay, this isn't what I'm about, so I need to figure something else out, you know? And I guess at the time as well, it was when there was the kind of the Be More stuff was really popping, you know? Yeah. Jack Master was running Dressed to Sweat, they were yeah. putting all those up, issuing all the Rod Lee stuff, you know, DJ Tamil, the Brick Bandits and all that stuff. I mean, there's always good stuff happening. All, Jack Master, he was, for me, was the for, of that movement, the forefront DJs for me was, was One Man and Jack Master and Lofa. Like, for, I was listening to those guys and Ben UFO. Yeah. I was listening to their Rinch shows. I was listening, like, One Man was like, made me, when I switched from I remember the first time I heard one man play what on rinse and I was like, okay, what the hell is this? You yeah, know? that listen, that was a tune. So yeah. He was the most influential DJ for me for the last ten years is one man. Okay. That right. guy phenomenal. He really changed the way I looked at DJing. It was And just just quickly going back to like thinking like Bristol and Swamp, I think you got a shout out Addison Groove. Absolutely. My boy Tony, like Flipping foot crab, game changer. Yeah, that was know? a game like that, that that influenced a lot of stuff. You know, that was like it was eight oh eight. It wasn't half step. No, it was that and, and Ramadan man worked them. Yeah, like that yeah. era. Well, I think we've got to roll it up, man. You know, uh, we could talk about music and yeah, all day, and, and we like didn't even get hours, into nobody the, else be interested. But yeah, no, yeah, we're just talking nerd shit right now. But no one else. I mean, you know, next time we'll just we'll just touch on straight two thousand three Harlem <laughs> drug dealer fashion. Yeah, that's we'll just it is. is it? Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to have a session where we just... We're going to talk about G-Unit versus Dipset mixtape wars, and that's it. <laughs> and, we're gonna, and then we're going to talk about, uh, you know, like when Manny Fresh left uh, Cash Muddy and the, t the, Yo, game. last thing, the, the Manny Fresh Red Bull interview is amazing. 100% recommend I'm going to go check that no, out. check it out, man. Manny Fresh is... It goes into all absolute, that. Talks about leaving, leaving Cash Money... Sorry, leaving... Yeah, leaving Cash Money with a pair of sneakers and a sampler after he made all those hits. <sighs> that's, that is one you know. of the true... The guy's a Injustice. genius. Injustice. He is a genius. All right, listen, thank you very much, man. Thank you, man. Big ups. Enjoyed that. Respect. Respect. Uh, here's some gold.